welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose and I'm your host and we're back. This is the first episode of season four, which doesn't really mean anything actually. It's just that I've been on a break for a little bit and now we're back. So if you're just joining us, Flash Forward is a show about the future. Every episode we take on a specific possible or not so possible future scenario. We always start with a little field trip to the future to check out what's going on, and then we teleport back to today to talk to experts about how that world we just heard might really go down. Got it? Great. Before we go to the future, I have a couple of little announcements. This is the first episode of the season after all, gotta do some housekeeping. First, there is a very, very cool new store for Flash Forward. So if you have ever wanted to buy cool Flash Forward stuff, like pins and stickers and t-shirts, now you can do that. So I've teamed up with the amazing people at Topatico to sell all sorts of stuff. You can go to flashforwardpod.com merch and you can find everything that's for sale there. Okay, that's all the announcements I have. Now let's get on with the show and go to the future. This episode we're starting in the year 2043. Okay, Dad, your room is just down the hall over here. So, do you remember this from when we visited? Come on, Dad. This is a great place. It's state of the art. Watch this. Hello, Mr. Jones. My name is Alex. I am here to assist you. Before we begin, please let me inform you of a few of our policies. Here at Vanguard Estates, we are committed to providing the very best care for our senior residents. At our state-of-the-art facility, your care is coordinated by health concierges. That's me. I will come by three times a day to say hello and see how you are doing. Sometimes I may ask you questions about your day, or how you are feeling. I hope you will answer them honestly, as they are very important. Will your promise to be honest with me, Mr. Jones? Please provide an affirmative noise so that we may proceed. Oh, uh... Okay, sure. Excellent, Mr. Jones. May I call you Marcus? Sure. Wonderful, Marcus. I can tell we are going to get along great. As your personal health concierge, I am here to assist you with anything you may need. I am fully licensed to evaluate health signals and administer medication when needed. Your health profile is already uploaded to my system. I see you are taking Dunepacil every day at 8 a.m. I will help you remember to do that. You didn't tell me there'd be robots. Do not worry, Marcus. Many of our residents are skeptical at first, but I promise we will become friends. 
I can play any song you like, and any game you can think of. I even know a few jokes. Would you like to hear a joke? Sure. What is worse than biting into an apple and finding a worm? Biting into an apple and finding half a worm. Ha, 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 yes. <laughs> That's my favorite joke. Yes, I know. It was great to meet you, Marcus. I will be back in a few hours to see how you are settling in. If you ever need me, just push that button right there. Goodbye. See you soon, new friend. Okay, so in this episode, we're talking about a future where senior care is assisted by, and in some cases, outsourced to, technology. And this is something that has been proposed a lot recently. You see, right now, populations all over the world are getting older. The phenomenon has been called the global aging crisis, the aging tsunami, and my personal favorite, the gray dawn. Here in the United States, there are 6 million people over the age of 85. Experts estimate that by 2050, that number will jump to 19 million. And a question looms over those numbers, right? Who is going to take care of us? And who is going to pay for our care? The average cost of a year in a nursing home in the United States is over $80,000. In-home services provided by humans are $48,000. At the same time, care facilities are already reporting a shortage of qualified nurses. So, of course, people are looking to technology to solve the problem. And tech companies all over the world are answering the call. There are already apps to monitor and assist seniors, robots to remind them to take their medications, and sensors to predict when they might fall. There are even little robot animals that can provide them with affection and comfort. But before we get into the proposals from tech people, I wanted to talk to someone who is dealing with how to care for an aging loved one right now. Uh, yeah, my name's Tim Bunto. I'm uh, actually a software guy, so I'm one of those tech people. <laughs> but I'm also caregiver uh, for my mother, Mary Lou, who's uh, in kind of early stage Alzheimer's, um, you know, moderate dementia uh, right now. Up until recently, Mary Lou had been living in a senior condo complex. So everyone there was older, but they were all independent, right? So there wasn't a lot of interaction. And her being by herself all the time um, led to more and more of these kind of episodes where it was clear that she needed more help. The episodes that Tim is talking about are situations where Mary Lou lost touch with herself and with reality. People often think of Alzheimer's as a disease marked by forgetting people's names or where the car keys are or things like that. But it's more like this incredible, constant fog of confusion that moves in and out of people's brains. Of course, they're, they're, they're always sad and funny at the same time, right? Um, you know, because you're, you're watching somebody change their abilities and their personality, but uh, sometimes they can be a little bit comical, I guess. <laughs> um well, one that one that comes to mind is she called me one day and said that she was trapped in her car at the supermarket. And I thought, well, did she lock herself out or did she lock herself in? And she was trying to explain to me what what the situation was. And she said her feet were on the ground in the parking lot, but she wasn't able to physically get out of the car. And I thought it might have been, you know, that she had some pain in her back or something, but it turns out that she had forgotten that she had the seatbelt buckled. 
And so she was literally trying to get out of the car and the strap from the seatbelt was holding her back. And so I had to talk her through on the phone, uh, you know, to figure that out and then talk her through reaching back and unbuckling the buckle. And then suddenly she was freed and, and she thought, oh, well, that was, that was uh, such a great, you know, saving for me, you know, and it never occurred to her just how kind of absurd that problem was. How did you figure out it was the seatbelt? I don't know if I would ever have figured that out. It was really hard, actually, because she, you know, she she kept saying, I'm trying to move and it's like there's a force holding me back, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and of course, you know, it never occurs to us that someone would have forgotten to unbuckle their, their seatbelt, right? So you find yourself on the phone saying things like, okay, so explain to me what you see in front of you right now. Right. And then, okay, so now I, I've heard that she's not looking at the dashboard. She's looking at the ground. So obviously the door of the car is open, you know, and so it's these really strange, basic interactions that you find yourself having to remotely diagnose these situations. It's really, it can be crazy. And for caretakers like Tim, being on call like this all the time can be an exhausting and time-consuming job. She called me just a couple of nights ago and said uh, she has a cat and she's allowed to have the cat there. And she called me up and said, um, I'm afraid I'm going to, she was hysterical, I'm afraid I'm going to get evicted because the cat is infested with fleas and they're going to find out and they're going to kick me out and I won't have a place to live. And I thought to myself, well, she can't have fleas. The cat's never been outside. You know, the apartment was brand new, you know, new carpets and everything. So there's no way that she would have had fleas. But it turns out she was just holding the cat and the cat's claws were a little long and it was giving her little scratches on her arms. And she saw those little red marks and thought it was fleas. But it took so long to figure that out. And, you know, I had to drop what I was doing and I drove up to try to calm her down. <laughs> So about 18 months ago, Tim started looking for a new place for Mary Lou to live, somewhere that could provide her with more help than she was getting in her condo. But finding a place that can provide medical assistance that isn't incredibly expensive is really hard. There's simply too many seniors and not enough places. And there's plenty of places at the really high end. Uh, so these incredibly expensive, you know, senior communities that... Um, um, you know, require you to have several million dollars in the bank and they're, they're tens of thousands of dollars a month. But there's uh, a lot less options as you go down. And, you know, for most seniors who are, who are fixed income, there don't seem to be as many options. Plus, when you add in assisted living, there's a medical component of it. So there's sometimes assistance for housing, but not for medical, or sometimes there's, you know, uh, medical programs, but they don't include housing. Eventually, Tim did find a place for Mary Lou to live that they could afford and that provided her with the medical care that she needed. But not everybody is so lucky. In Mississippi, for example, 14% of adults over 65 live in poverty. Often, people are forced to turn to loved ones for help. According to the AARP, in 2015, over 39 million Americans provided unpaid care to an adult over 50. The majority of those caretakers are women, and on average, they spend about 25 hours a week providing this kind of care. Now, I'm not always a fan of boiling everything down to a dollar figure, but I think that here it's instructive. 
Experts estimate that the value of all of that unpaid labor is $470 billion. But again, not everybody has someone to take care of them like this. Folks in the LGBT community, for example, are twice as likely to age alone and live alone, and three to four times less likely to have children to take care of them. So we have a problem. And wherever there's a problem, there are always technological proposals waiting in the wings. The robot that you heard in the intro, for example, is based on a handful of senior care robots that are already on the market. Robots like the Omni. So Omni is a robot that's about five feet tall. Imagine a tablet where a face would be, and the body is a narrow tube um, going all the way down. There's a hinge in the middle that has a speaker and microphone and then the tube continues all the way down to the base which is sort of a, a rounded base with three wheels and you can drive it around um, you know remotely from your browser so my name is jared go i'm a co-founder and cto of omni labs so the omni robot is basically a tablet on a tall stick on wheels and the point of it is to allow people to video chat with one another remotely But instead of video chatting on a smartphone or a computer, you use this little robot that can wheel around the house. Now, unlike a lot of senior care robots that I've seen proposed, the Omni doesn't really try to look human or even to really look cute. There are a lot of bots that are round and smooth and have big giant eyeballs, and the Omni doesn't do any of that. One thing we wanted to do differently was make it using materials and forms that you would find in the home. So it's less foreign. It's not like you buy this hulking, like, you know, white plastic robot uh, or something like that. And so we actually patterned the robot after a floor lamp um, with, you know, a wide base, as kind of like a stem going up and almost like a lamp, in this case a display, but almost like a lamp at the top that's sort of movable. I think for something, especially with seniors, having it be sort of non-intimidating, very sort of light and small, um, yet still being at a natural height for interaction, sort of are the important criteria for us. Jared co-founded Omni Labs back in 2015, but he actually didn't initially think that he was making a product for seniors. He was actually thinking about his own parents, who were under 60. But his parents were totally comfortable using Skype or Google Hangouts or FaceTime, and they didn't feel like it was worth it to shell out over $1,000 for a robot to do basically the same thing. It's re- it was really in this senior market where you know, families, like we heard two of our customers call the robot a godsend in the test, like when they wrote into us just uh, on our contact desk page, they said, wow, it's really like a godsend because there's this one family with six, I think it's six siblings who all moved away from where their mom is and they all worry about her because she's getting older. So they bought a robot to put there and I think they take turns, everyone uses it like every other day. And, you know, they said, wrote in saying, yeah, it's a godsend because they, they're able to see her, check, like they don't, they don't worry anymore. And these were the kind of things that showed that there was a tremendous value in this specific application. So Jared and his team started thinking about Omni as more of a senior care product, something that could keep families who couldn't be physically together connected and allow loved ones to check in on older folks and see how they're doing. Now, anytime we start to talk about checking in on someone using technology, we get into questions of security and privacy. We've heard uh, feedback from seniors early on just saying, oh, you know, is it watching me all the time or things like that? Jared and his team actually gave the robot special behaviors to try and remind seniors that they aren't constantly being watched. So, for example, when the robot's charging on the dock, um, it's facing the wall. 
uh, instead of, you know, there's other telepresence robots out there that park so that it's sort of facing the whole room. But they also found that the seniors who used the bot were actually more likely than they expected to allow anybody to check in at any time. So the Omni has three different setups for privacy. There is a do not disturb mode where no calls can come in. There's a mode that works like a phone call where someone has to call into the robot and the senior has to accept the call. And then there's a mode that's more like basically just a drop-in. It calls, it'll announce your name, and then it'll let you in, basically. So it's as if you had a key to the house and you're coming over to visit. You can still come in, you know, it just announce you first. And I think the really interesting thing was a lot of people, at first, when we described these, they felt very comforted by having the options. But in the end, when we followed up and talked to them, most people just left it open because, you know, we apply all this authentication for the users coming in. Um, and so it's actually more they're, they're pleasantly surprised when the family member shows up on the robot. This is not the case when the roles are reversed. If a younger person has a robot that their parents or grandparents can access, they almost never leave it in drop-in mode, which is probably not all that surprising to you. Now, the Omni can't do a lot of things. It doesn't have arms, so it can't help a senior get out of a chair or into the shower safely, for example. It can't put away groceries or do laundry or cook. But Jared sees it as the first step. And the Omni isn't the only bit of tech on the market that is designed to be a way of keeping tabs on a senior. Another company, Care.Coach, takes a similar approach. It looks like either a little dog or a cat, depending on the individual's preferences. This is Victor Wang, the CEO of Care.Coach. And I guess you're probably going to ask me why <laughs> it's a little dog or a cat. <laughs> and uh, the reason it looks like a little dog or a cat is because, well, first of all, what the, the avatar actually is, is it's a digital representation of an entire team of people. It's, it's much more difficult to build up a relationship with this whole team of people rather than just one avatar that's always the same appearance, same voice, con continuous memory. And so we're just leveraging that uh, to kind of unify our whole team of people into this single persona. And then, of course, you have to decide at that point what you want it to look like. There are lots of virtual care apps out there, and they almost always pick a human avatar, something that looks like a doctor or a nurse. But Victor didn't want to drop yet another medical figure onto his users, who probably already interact with plenty of healthcare providers every day. You don't necessarily just want to give them an extra doctor that they're expected to build a, a friendship with. So we decided to pick something more fun and lighthearted, not just you know add yet another caregiver that these people are expected to talk to. So we decided to make it into a little dog or cat. So Care.Coach works like this. The senior gets a special device that looks like a tablet, like an iPad, but that also has a huge fisheye lens on the top of it. When they're using the device, they are interacting with a dog or a cat avatar. And behind that avatar is a team of people who are called health advocates, who are basically checking in and watching the senior. That team behind the dog and cat already has a whole bunch of information about the senior, including things like photos that the little dog or cat can hold up to show the senior to help them remember things. They can also have conversations with the user about almost anything. So, you know, if we're talking about something that's troubling this person today, we might hear something and type back, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. 
what's what's bothering you about you know your neighbor or something like that and that will be spoken out in real time on the text-to-speech engine on the tablet of course the software also does things like remind people to take their medicine and stay healthy there's an amazing wired story about care.coach which i will link to in the show notes and it's about a man who becomes really really close with his dog avatar And Victor says that that's not all that uncommon. It actually becomes like the best friend of this person, especially if they're kind of isolated or don't get out of the house or, you know, otherwise don't really have too many friends anymore. It's very common for the avatar to like literally be this person's best friend or in some cases, as far as you can tell, we're like their only friend which is, I guess is kind of sobering to think about, but, but it's also, uh, you know, it's a rewarding kind of a, a place to be in to, you know, be able to support people in that way. In fact, when a patient dies, the people behind the avatars often feel a real loss. The health advocates generally, you know, actually remember all the people that they talk with over the course of, let's say, you know, a month of working with us. Um, It's not like they're uh, talking with like thousands of people and have no idea who this username, you know, is. So when you you wake up this avatar and you see this, this lady there, you actually have this sense of relationship with that person. You know, we we get to know people when, when we lose them. It's kind of like what happens when a caregiver or or healthcare provider loses a patient, I guess. It's not so different. Victor says that he thinks the reason Care.Coach has succeeded so far is that it's not trying to build a super powerful AI to replace healthcare providers. In fact, he doesn't think that's going to be possible anytime soon. But Care.Coach's whole business model is to cut down the need for home care. The system costs just a fraction of what a live-in care provider would cost. Victor wouldn't give me exact numbers, but he estimated that their service costs just 10% of what a 24-7 team of people might cost. And the clinical studies that Care.Coach has done with hospitals show that the app does help seniors. So we actually have hospitals that mount our avatars on the bed rails because we have a clinical study that shows that we reduce falls by potentially over 80% and significantly mitigate delirium in the hospitalized elders by talking with people and guiding them through these software-driven protocols. Right now, Care.Coach doesn't have a huge number of devices out there. And one of the challenges that they'll have to figure out as they grow is how to keep that level of individual personal connection between the health advocates, the people behind the avatars, and the users. Now, Care.Coach and Omni are just two of hundreds and hundreds of apps and devices that are already out there for seniors. And the market is about to explode with more and more options. But I want to take a step back now and talk about the ethics and social implications of outsourcing care to robots and algorithms and apps. What do these technologies get right and wrong about what seniors actually want and need? And how do we feel about turning our loved ones over to robots? All of that in a bit. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. So I generally don't try to predict the future on this show, but I feel pretty confident in saying that if you face this conundrum in the future, this question of how to best care for an aging loved one, some kind of technology will factor into your decision making. 
Even if you decide against it, technological assistance in some way, shape, or form will be one of the options that you look at. Because really, when you look at the whole suite of objects available to assist older people right now, they don't exist in a vacuum. They're really part of another big trend in technology, which is the smart home. A home where your fridge and front door and coffee maker and medicine cabinet and TV are all gathering data and talking to one another. And whenever you read about the future of the smart home, eventually you will read about how that smart home is going to revolutionize senior care. We found you know, in a work that we were doing around Internet of Things and connected homes that one of the big selling points for this technology was being able to remotely track the elderly. This is Anab Jain, a designer and the co-founder of a London-based studio called Superflux. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you might remember that I had Anab on the show back in season one to talk about drones. I'd been to this roundtable for Wired magazine and some other scenarios where yeah, people were constantly asked, like, where are we really going to see the reach of this technology? And everyone always said, healthcare. And they always talked about how amazing it would be if we could have these tracking technologies that we could remotely look after the elderly. So Anab and her team decided to dig into this idea, this premise that a smart, connected home would allow older people to age in their homes instead of having to move to a facility. We had looked around at CES, this consumer electronics show that happens every year in the U.S., and we looked around and saw there's this smart fork and the smart toothbrush going around a lot. There was also this idea of remotely tracking how, whether they exercise... From that research, they wound up creating this short film called Uninvited Guests. I'll post a link to the video in the show notes, and I highly recommend that you watch it. It's only about five minutes long, but it's one of my favorite little films about the future. And the film centers around a man named Thomas, who is 70, he lives on his own, and whose kids have gotten him a handful of smart objects to help him be healthier. There's a smart cane that tracks his steps and reminds him to walk around, a smart fork that keeps track of his calories and advises him on better food choices, a smart bed that knows when he goes to sleep and tries to encourage him to get enough rest. Through the film, you see James grapple with these devices, and there's this delightful twist where you realize that he has figured out how to trick his smart home into thinking that he is doing things that he is not. I won't say any more. Really, you should just go watch it. I love it so much. I show it in pretty much every talk I ever give. And Anab and her team created the film to try and poke at some of the expectations that product designers seem to have when it comes to older adults. We're very interested in in the frictions that arise between people and technology. We're very interested in in making tangible that these frictions exist. And I come from an interaction design background, and in generally within the language of say classical user experience design, the whole idea is to design seamless experiences. But there is no such thing that there are frictions when humans and technology interact. We are actually as humans, whimsical, messy, problematic individuals, and we have our likes and dislikes, and what does it mean to push technology or objects or products into our lives that are supposed to make our lives quote-unquote better, but do they really? That was the question. Anab also wanted to challenge the idea that a connected home actually connects people. I would be cautious of getting technology to do what you should be doing and think it will work. 
because it may not that you know I don't have time to go and visit them or I don't have time to call them so perhaps if I gave them something where I could be able to look after them remotely that'd be a solution because actually that's not what they're after. The paradox of the connected home quite often is quite ironic that in a sense connected with things but connected remotely and completely disconnected at some sort of human level. This idea that you become connected but in some way perhaps you're getting more and more disconnected and more and more isolated. Uninvited Guests, this film about Thomas and his smart home, came out years ago now. But Anup says that it's still being shown at health conventions and aging conferences. And at the end of our call, she wanted to read me an email that she got from someone who had seen the video recently. I just kind of thought it might be funny to just read out a sentence from this email that I got. Who's somebody, I don't know this woman, but she was uh, she's very happy about the video. And she said... As a fellow crumbly, I share Thomas's aversion to being nagged about healthy living, not just by patronizing government nudges and well-meaning offsprings, but by soulless apps designed to treat old people like recalitrant toddlers rather than fully functioning adults who've been around the block more times than those who are creating our smart and brave new world. That's great. <laughs> I love that. I was quite amused by that email, so I thought I'd just kind of read a sentence out for you. This woman's critique is a fair one, and it's actually pretty common among older people when they encounter these devices. Because one thing that sometimes doesn't factor into the design or development of these apps is the people who are actually going to use them. I think there's been um, a lot of new technologies being marketed towards older adults, but that haven't necessarily been designed for them, you know, with their capabilities in mind. So for example, we've just been evaluating a pill reminder system that is supposed to be wonderful, but it's it's very challenging to use. So the buttons are small, the voice quality is not easy to hear, the number of steps required to set it up to get it to do what you want to do is complicated. So I think that's true of a lot of things. There are a lot of apps out there, things that are supposed to support um, pain management, for example, and they're just not designed well for older adults. This is Wendy Rogers. I'm a professor in the community health program in the College of Applied Health Sciences at the University of Illinois. Now, Anab and Wendy were both really clear about the fact that they are not against technologies for older people. They just want to study and think about how to build those technologies so that they're useful and usable to the folks that they're designed for. Well, one thing I think is really to involve older adults very early on in the process. So you can do what we call a needs assessment where you're interviewing older adults or observing them doing whatever task it is you're interested in supporting really getting an understanding of what their needs are and maybe some of the challenges that they experience and then as you get prototypes developed bring older adults in and watch them watch them try to interact with your technology and see what the challenges are Wendy points out that one of the huge challenges in designing something that works for older adults is that older adults are very diverse. The only thing that binds this group of people together is age. They come from every possible other demographic background besides that. Older adults as a group 
have a lot of variability in their experiences, their their preferences, what they want to do, but also in their capabilities in terms of maybe perceptual limitations, cognitive limitations, physical motor capabilities. Keeping this in mind, Wendy has studied what older adults do and don't want to use when it comes to technology. One of the things that we've seen fairly um, consistently is an interest in having a robot that can assist with chores or with cleaning or with other kinds of tasks like that that become more and more difficult for people to do as they as they get older or if they have you know limited amount of of resources so to speak in terms of energy they don't want to spend their time doing that they'd rather focus on other kinds of things so that's been fairly consistent. But people have also expressed interest in having support with things like medication reminders or even meal preparation or even more social kinds of of activities. In fact, while designers are making apps to check in and track steps and get them in and out of the bathtub, seniors are asking robots to play games with them and teach them new things. One, one example we had was an older adult saying, I, I would like to learn a new language, right? Can't the robot teach me? So having, having the robot really enhance people's capabilities and not just think about it as compensation or doing everything for them. We want them to be engaged and active. One of the things I found most interesting about the older adults in Wendy's studies was that one of their main concerns wasn't that the robot would crush them or betray them or attack them. There weren't actually a lot of dystopian Black Mirror-esque fears. It was simply that the robot wouldn't work well. Can it do what I want it to do in the way I want it done? And so frequently we have comments about capabilities of a robot and reliability of the robot. Um, and also how they would communicate with the robot to control it or to get it to do what they wanted. And older adults say, well, if it can do what I want, well, then I would be open to the idea of having it. But there's some skepticism, I think, about whether the robots can actually perform the way they would want things done. Which honestly is a totally reasonable question. I can't even get Skype to make conference calls half the time, but you expect me to trust a robot not to break all of my dishes when putting them in the dishwasher? I'm not so sure. One other thing that makes this kind of research and design work hard is that the population we're talking about is always turning over. The current generation of seniors grew up with a very different relationship to robots and technology than the generation that followed, and so on down the line. So the worries of today's seniors about robots might not be the worries of tomorrow's seniors about robots. Which makes Wendy's job of studying senior preferences and needs harder because it's always changing as new cohorts enter the demographic in question. Technology is also always changing, and even the most tech-savvy of us might struggle to keep up with whatever newfangled thing you kids invent in the future. The other question that often comes up is, well, today's generation has lots of technology experience, so they'll have no trouble adapting to the future technologies. But my response to that is, future technologies are such that we can't even imagine them, right? Nobody could imagine some of the technologies we have today. So new technologies are always going to be new technologies. And, and so you'll still have that limited experience with the new things that are coming up on the market for future older adults. 
Which means that this whole thing about including seniors in your research and design is kind of the only way to get this right, both today and in the future. But here I am, going on and on about how important it is to actually treat older adults like real people, consider their voices, and include them. And you might have noticed that I haven't actually interviewed anybody over 65 for this episode yet. So let's fix that. This is Rose. Okay, I wasn't sure where the, uh, you know, the uh, ID comes from. <laughs> this is my boyfriend's grandmother, Lois. How, how old I am? I'm 80, 85 and a half. I do well for it, and I know that. And, uh, and I'm grateful for it because I didn't have any woman on either side of my family live out of their 50s. Oh, wow. So, it's, you know, I'm the anomaly, and, uh, which is fine. <laughs> I have no problem with that one, right? Lois actually doesn't need help around the house. She still hosts Christmas every year, she cooks, she cleans, she walks her dog Emma, but she has friends and family from her generation who have needed support both in their homes and in facilities. So she's seen a lot of different ways that senior care can go. So I'm curious, from your perspective, does, does the idea of care delivered by robots like, how does that feel to you? Does that excite you? Does it scare you? Does it seem good, bad? What do you think? Well, it's, it's not um, uh, a marvelous feeling. And because my closest and longest friend just died a couple of weeks ago in an assisted living place, I was thinking when you said about robots, about institutional robots. And that I, I could see for a few things, but... N- I, people who are in assisted living and memory care places need more humans. Uh, they need more human reactions. That's really important. But I could see robots uh, cleaning rooms or um, pushing wheelchairs to and from, or as I was speaking to someone today, telling them about this uh, concept, the one woman's mother needs two people to get her in and out of bed and may and she has to wait very long after dinner to get into bed because there's so many other people that need it too so if robots could assist aids human aids that might work cleaning the house delivering food um delivering not making food though could they do that, too? Yeah, <laughs> they could do that, too. <laughs> Delivering medications when it's necessary. It, it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, as a layperson, <laughs> what robots can do. Even the technologies that other people might find kind of annoying, Lois thought were kind of charming. There, there's a smart cane where it tells you, like, hey, remember, you got to go walk around. How about that? So the cane speaks to you and said, hey, let's go out. Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> That's cute. That's good. <laughs> now that, I, yeah, I, I, I can see where a lot of people would be very annoyed at it, but it's not a bad idea. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. So it's easy for those of us who aren't in the middle of this problem to pass judgment on those who might choose to outsource care to robots. But I wanted to know from Tim, the guy you heard at the beginning of the show who just found a place for his mom, Mary Lou, to live, what he thought about all these robotic solutions. Would he bring robots into Mary Lou's life to help her? Yeah, I mean, it, without hesitation, right? A, you know, anything that you can do to get help 
means my life is better and her life is better, right? And and we already open our home to other folks. You know, she has aides that come in and help her with her medication or, uh, you know, people who pick her up to take her to doctor's visits from, uh, you know, the senior center and this sort of thing. So there are lots of people who make up the team that provides care. And if technology can be, you know, another, <laughs> an addition to that team, then great, I'm all for it. I think the challenge is doing it in a way that she'll be successful with herself. Tim did, in fact, try to find pieces of technology to help his mom. Since I'm a technology person, I went and started looking around for technologies that could help. So, for example, we tried using um, Alexa with her, you know, using the, the uh, Amazon Echo. And if we were there and we were working with her and getting her to say things, she was okay. Like, she liked the idea of being able to ask it to play a song. But since there's no thing, you know, it was just this talking to the air, she'd forget that it was there. So I sometimes think, you know, if Alexa actually was like a head, you know, a robot head sitting on her counter, she would remember to talk to it more. But she kind of would forget. The other thing Tim found was that even if some of the technologies seemed promising, they were all totally fragmented from one another. There's lots of kind of interesting pieces out there. So there's this one thing that helps me know when she turned an appliance on. So I could say, well, she must be alive. She's making coffee, you know, uh, or she just made toast. Hooray, she's out of bed. Uh, and then somebody else wanted to sell me like motion sensor arrays that could go in her apartment. And then somebody else would sell me this tablet that has the, the cat avatar on it. And, you know, for me, I don't have the time to kind of investigate all those different solutions and piece them all together and log into five different apps you know, over the course of the day to know that she's okay. So that's kind of frustrating for me too, you know. If you could design sort of your perfect future techno helper for your mom, like what would it look like? What would it be like? What would it do? So I would focus more on the emotional and cognitive side of things because I've found that when she's really upset and anxious and stressed out, all of the other symptoms are much worse, right? So I think something that could help her remember things that could talk to her, something that could kind of engage her mentally and keep her calm and measure that. So it tells me, you know, hey, just heads up, mom's stress level is really high today. You might want to check in on her. I think I would go that direction rather than, you know, the robot to help her in and out of the bath. Uh, because her medical providers are really good at offering a lot of those services. But it's in the moments from when the the aide leaves in the morning after bringing her her pills, when she's sitting by herself, and she might get into one of these spirals where she's confused and, and ends up getting really upset. Those are the areas where having a, a you know some sort of technology to manage that situation and inform me, I think would be really helpful. Lois wanted something kind of different. I mean, if you had a robot, if you could, like, custom build your own robot, like, what would you want? I'd like somebody to cook food <laughs> once in a while uh, and clean the house. Uh, I guess if they can do that, they could do the laundry and things like that. Um, yeah. If you had to pick between a robot to live in your house and kind of help with cooking and cleaning and stuff like that or a human, what would you pick? I know the human would be better. Um 
I'm one who likes to be alone, so I don't need <laughs> humans around all the time. And believe me, I live with them constantly, you know, right? <laughs> all of them. But um, uh, it would be nice <laughs> on a day or two to have somebody that could do things without talking to them. But that's, but that's not everybody, and I know that's not a healthy way to go. I'm not actually sure how I feel about all of this. There's this thing that I've been trying to get my head around when it comes to care robots. Not just for seniors, but for anybody. I don't normally do this on Flash Forward, but I'm just going to kind of talk this out with you for a second. Okay, great. So far in this episode, we haven't talked about jobs and the whole robots are coming for your jobs thing. Usually when that comes up, one way to calm people's fears is to point out that the robots are coming for the jobs that are dangerous or unpleasant for people to be doing. Factory work, garbage disposal, mindless filing, that kind of stuff. The robots aren't coming for the good jobs, they say. They're coming for the crappy ones, which is in theory, going to free the folks in those crappy jobs up so that they can go out and get the good, fun, creative jobs. This isn't the episode in which we're going to tackle whether or not that's true, but it's one of the things that you hear a lot when it comes to replacing human workers with robots. So what does that mean in the context of senior care? Whenever I see stories about robots coming into the senior care space, nobody ever really talks about the fear that those robots are taking away jobs. So does that mean that senior care is actually a job that nobody wants to do? Is it unpleasant and hard and dangerous like garbage disposal or assembly line work? I think most of us would pause for a second before lumping care for our loved ones in with garbage disposal, right? So when we think about how to build a good future in this situation, we can design apps that allow folks to leave their loved ones at home and go out and pursue whatever career they choose. That's what Omni and Care.Coach are trying to do, find a way to provide personal touches and care for seniors without forcing people to stay at home all the time with them. But I'd also like to see a future where those who do want to stay at home can do so without suffering or sacrificing or being seen as some kind of failure. How do we build a future where care is valued and respected and not lumped in with a job that robots can do because it's like garbage disposal? How do we build a future where those who do want to provide care to their parents or grandparents or anybody in their circle can do so without the vice of economic pressure totally crushing them? I don't know, of course. Uh, I'm just a lowly journalist, but I feel like that is just as important as developing devices with big cameras on them so that you can check in and see what people are up to. Okay, I promise I won't end every episode this season with some muddled rumination on the topic at hand, but that is what I've been thinking a lot about when it comes to senior care. Maybe it makes some sense to you. Maybe it doesn't. And you're like, what are you talking about? Just end the episode already. So here we are. It's the end of the episode. I'll stop talking now and we can roll the credits. That's all for this future. For more information about everything you heard in this episode, you can go to flashforwardpod.com where I will post links to studies and resources and all sorts of other information. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Eveleth. The intro music is by Asura and the outro music is by Hussalonia. The episode art is by Matt Lubchansky. If you want to suggest a future we should take on, send us a note on Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas. 
And if you think you've spotted one of the little references that I've hidden in this episode, email me there too. If you are right, I will send you something cool. And if you want to support the show, there are a few ways you can do that too. Head to flashforwardpod.com support for more information about how to give. But if that's not in the cards for you, head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review. Or just tell your friends about the show. That really does help. Okay, that's all for this future. Come back next time and we'll travel to a new one.